Hey, what's up, church? How y'all feeling today? Come on, we just want to welcome our Lancaster campus. If you're watching this online, it's a great honor to have you with us here at X Church. As we're kind of in the middle of a two-part message, it's not really a series of messages, but rather it's one message that I kind of split into two for your sake because I have a lot that I want to share with you about what God's put on my heart for our church as we move forward as X Church. You know, if you're new, we just recently changed our name in 2019 to X Church, and we really believe that it's more than a name change, that there is like just a win behind it. There, there's so much other things that we've been sharing that really... God has kind of put my heart for really a new chapter of ministry as a church, a new chapter in the life of our church. And so I began last week just unpacking seven new values that I really want to kind of be the, the litmus of what we are as a church. I wanted to define us. If you were to say, who are we as a church? I would point to these seven values and say, this is who we are as a church. Now, here's the thing about values that you need to know, okay? Values that you have in your life will impact how you live. Like if you think something is valuable, it will dictate how you live in your life. You know that, right? Like, like, is your job valuable? If your job is valuable, you'll get up and you'll get to work on time, won't you? You'll probably actually work while you're there. You'll do everything you need to do to keep your job because it's valuable, right? How many of you parents think your kids are valuable? Raise your hands if your kids, I just wanna make sure you think your kids are valuable Okay, I, I mean, if your kids are valuable, let's be honest, you'll, you'll take time to do things that they love to do. You'll make sure that you care for them. You'll, you will put your kids as a priority in your life. It's that way. Same thing with our, with our lives, same things with our marriages. Like, you know, if your marriage is valuable, you might do something great for Valentine's Day. How many did something for Valentine's Day? Raise your hand if you're married, you did something awesome. All right, not everybody. My wife and I did something really awesome. We went to an eighth grade boys basketball game. It was, and we don't have boys. So again, a little weird, but our daughter was cheering in a completely different school, but, but we, we did. You know, we all got showed up, our leadership team. I, I, I wanna just give some love to a guy in our church that's phenomenal. Uh, how many of y'all know Scott Spencer? Y'all know Scott? Scott is the man. Okay, everybody in Lancaster knows him really well. He's been part of really that campus since it launched. And uh, Scott Spencer showed us all up on our lead team. Um, he was bragging a little bit that uh, he and his wife did something so special for Valentine's Day. I didn't even ask permission, but I'm just going to rat him out because it was so good. He, he did. I felt it made me feel a little less of a man when I found out what he did. He, he made reservations at one of the most exclusive places uh, to eat on Valentine's Day, that is, you cannot go there unless you have a reservation on Valentine's Day. Did you know White Castle took reservations? I'm not lying, it's so awesome. Like, it, did you know it's a thing? Like, you can't just go to uh, White Castles on Valentine's Day. You have to plan in advance and they just do it up right. And so I just, my, my pr mad props to Scott Spencer for him and Nicole went there and celebrated Valentine's Day, right? Like if, they, if you value somebody, if you value something, it will impact how you live. I think we all understand that. And sometimes we get that confused with what we believe. Okay, sometimes, especially I found in the church world, maybe if you're Christian, is sometimes we have a tendency of saying, well, well, I believe this and so this is my value. But, but I want to push back on that a little bit and say that sometimes we walk around and say things we value based on beliefs and that were handed to us that aren't really things we value. 
In other words, you, you could have someone that would say, well, I believe that God's word, that Bible comes from God and that it is valuable and that it's our authority. That's great, but if you never read it and you refuse to do what it says, do you really value it? Sometimes that's just handed down to us from a grandmother who gave us a Bible and said, don't put anything on it. So this is the Bible, the whole thing, God's word, don't, you know what I mean? Like, and so what I'm talking about is values, values that affect our lives. I, I, rather than saying that what I believe impacts or determines what I value, a better way of saying it is this, that what we value determines how we behave. Like what you really value in your life will actually determine the things that you do in your life, what's a priority and what matters to you. And, and so last week I shared the first three, and today I would like to share the last four with you. And so I want to encourage you just to kind of just dive in. And one of the things I want to encourage you to do as I get ready to share these with you is I want to encourage you to, to take notes. One of the things that we're, we're going to try to encourage more and more this year is the opportunity for you guys to take notes. In fact, on our campuses, you may not have seen this. Maybe it's, it's kind of hidden at first, but it's at the entrance of your auditorium. We have, we got this notes page, okay, that, that we have available that you can pick up before you come into the experience every weekend. And on there is a place where you can put the sermon title or which week of a series that we're in, the date. You can take notes, whatever God speaks to you during a message. And then on the back, there's a spot where you can, you can write a prayer, almost a response, or maybe when God speaks to your heart about something. Because here's what I found, is that so often we can be in church and through God's presence and his word being preached, you know, God's spirit will speak something to us individually. Like, oh man, I need to stop doing that. Or I really need to start doing that. And then let's be honest, two hours after church, we've already forgotten it. So the best thing that you can do is capture it so that you can remember it and that it can actually get inside of you and change your behavior. That's the most impactful thing that you could do. And so we've got these note cards that are available every single weekend. And here's what's cool is they come on three-hole-punch um, three paper because we've got these special ex-church message notes binders that are now available in the store. There's a very limited number, so first come, first serve. We just want to see if anybody would want to use one of these. But you could pick one of these up. They're cheap. They're like five bucks, okay? That you could pick one of these up. And here's what's cool. You could literally take, uh, even if you leave this at home, you could grab one of these. You could take an ex-church pen that you'll probably steal and not, not, not return or not, you know. And um, if you're going to use it every week, just keep the same one. We don't want it, we don't want it back, but, but, you know, maybe do that. And, and then you can write this down, and then you can just keep these, and they almost work like a journal. Like, hey, what did God speak into my life over this year? And you can go back and see what those things are, or pray about it in the week and fill out a prayer in response. Is that cool? So you can pick one of these up, because someone once said that note-takers are history-makers. Sounds really good. Pastor Russ said that the first time, and uh, I've never heard that before. I'm not even sure if it's true, but it sounds so good. He's just good with a lot of phrases he likes to preach, and I'm not sure if they're true. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I think it is. I think it's good. I think it is good. All right, if you're ready, I got four of them, and, and I want to dive right into these. Here's the first one. The first one is this. Excellence is our presentation. Excellence is our presentation. Come on, would you at both campuses say it out loud with me? Excellence is our presentation. Here's our tag. We kind of, on our website, you'll see just some, some supporting statements that we put so you can understand the heart behind the statement. And that is this, that God is in the details and so are we. We believe that excellence honors God and inspires others. The calling is significant and therefore nothing is insignificant. We will embrace a spirit of excellence 
It is our presentation. I, I've I heard this phrase. I don't know if you ever heard this. It's an idiom. Um, it's a little bit different than maybe the way you heard it in this one. Have you ever heard this one? The devil's in the details. You ever heard that phrase? Um, and I and I get the the point of that comment. The devil's in the details. But I'm not so sure that we should give the devil credit for something that God initiated. Do you know that that phrase was actually adapted from uh, a phrase that was out before it, which was, God is in the details. Someone actually just took and changed it and used it in a different context. But, but truly, God is in the details. I mean, if you don't believe me, just go walk around today and open your eyes and maybe look at things that you take for granted all the time and realize how beautiful and how detailed and intricate everything is that God made. I mean, God is, is not just some being that exists somewhere in a nebulous place out in this universe, but, but God, I truly believe, is involved and engaged in the life of our world. And, and when you look at everything that God created, okay, from the stars in the heavens that are so far away, and yet He still put them there to light the sky for us at night, to, to the sands on the seashore. I mean, if you love beaches, God makes beautiful things. I mean, the mountains, like, like I don't know if you've gotten to see any of this world. Every once in a while, I'll run across some people that I talk to them, and they will say, I've never left the state of Ohio. I'm like, you don't know what you're missing. Oh, my gosh. Like, I've been all over this world. I'm telling you, uh, God makes beautiful things. Amen? And God is such a detailed God, the things that he makes because not only is it what we see but but if you know what it has taken us thousands of years in science and to figure out is that God is also in the intricate details that you can't see the DNA that God has woven together inside of you the way he puts you together in your mother's womb God was involved in all of those details what I'm trying to say is this God is in the details I think we should be in details Like everything that God made, he made it excellent. And I believe that there's a, a level as an image bearer, that's what we are, that we are to represent God well. I, I hope you see that. In fact, I really believe that God cares so much about details that I'll, I'll show you a little passage of scripture that really illustrates this well. If you don't believe me, um, read sometime this week, if you would, starting at Exodus 25 and on. When God gives the, uh, um, Moses a command, he tells him when, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and slavery and he's going to take them to the promised land, and before they get there, God tells Moses, I want you to build me a portable church. It was called a tabernacle, right? I don't know if you've ever read this. I don't know if you were ever one that said, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, and then you got to this portion. When God gives the exact details of the tabernacle. This is one of the most boring things you could read in the Bible. Yes, I just said that. Like, when you start reading it, you, God did not just tell Moses, hey, I want you to build me something, make it look nice. God told Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build me a portable church. And oh, by the way, every single measurement came from God. Did you know that? Every single measurement. You know when God gave Noah the command to build the ark? He gave him every single measurement there was. When he told Moses, build the tabernacle, I want to use this wood, and I want it this long, and I want it this tall, and this many braces, and this is the color curtains, and this is the yarn you're to use. I mean, all the way, have you read it? It is so boring. It's like, I want this in silver, this in gold, this in bronze. I want you to make these. I want it to look a certain way. He was so detailed. 
In fact, here's what God said to Moses, Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. It says this, God said to Moses, Then have them, the Israelites, make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. He said, Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings. Notice this phrase. Exactly like the pattern I will show you. Here's exactly how I want this to look. And he is so clear to the very minutiae detail of how it is supposed to look. But that's not just it. Let me show you another part of this that I think was fascinating to me. My favorite part in all of this was the way God told them to make this particular box. So there was this box that they used to carry around with them. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. You heard of that? Uh, it's this box that they would carry around. They would put it on their shoulders and it had these cherubs on top, like these angels with these wings that were facing a certain direction. And God told Moses, this is right after this passage, right after verses 8 and 9. He said, I, first thing I want you to make, I want the Ark of the Covenant. He said, this is it's going to be like the thing that's going to mark my presence among you. And he said, I want you to build this box. And this box would sit inside of a room that, listen, nobody was allowed to go in and see except for Moses and probably Aaron, the high priest. Nobody was allowed to really even go see this box. And yet God gives intricate details. I want this big, this tall, on poles. Uh, and then here's one thing that was so fascinating to me. God told Moses, I want you to overlay the entire box, the outside and the inside of pure gold. Now, why in the world would you make the whole thing outside and inside of pure gold? Do you realize that nobody, except for maybe Moses and Aaron, got to see inside that box? Nobody did. Like, people didn't get to see it. Most believe that they actually would close the curtains of the room on top of it because so you wouldn't even see that box. And they would carry it around to represent the presence of God. You know what's really cool today? We don't need some box to carry around because we carry the presence of God inside of us every single place that we go. But back then, they had this box and inside of it is gold and no one else could see it. In fact, do you know what would happen if you looked inside the box? It would melt your face off. That's a reference to the Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you, if you missed it, I'm thinking about doing that movie for At The Movies. That'd be awesome. Faces melting off when they look inside the box. Here's my, my point is this. Um, if no one is supposed to look inside the box, then why did God care that it was overlaid with gold? Because, because excellence is a trait of our creator. Because of excellence. Why, why did all this matter? Because all of this that God was showing Moses pointed to something in heaven. It was something on earth that pointed people to God. In fact, the writer of Hebrews tells us that God told Moses to make it exactly to a pattern because that's the way it was in heaven. And so I guess I'm just a firm believer that if everything that we're doing as a church is supposed to point people to our God, our Creator, and our Savior, I just believe that it should be done with excellence. Amen? Come on, if you agree with that, put your hands together and say amen. I just want to know if you believe that. Because I, I just want to say this, the church has not always valued excellence, in my opinion. Where the world has always cared about its, its properties and about its product and about its thing that I've seen, I've grown up and seen that the church has not always cared about excellence. 
We try to spiritualize a bunch of other things and we undervalue the importance of the message that we have to declare and the God that we represent and what this community stands for. And so I just believe that everything that we do ought to represent the same excellence and quality of our God. Everything that we do. It, it should just represent it. I, I've seen this because like, I, I, I grew up at a time when you're going to church, and I don't know if you ever had a church experience like this, and we try our best to, to do this, but, you know, I, I grew up when, like, the place looked like a mess, and it didn't matter, especially the stage. Y'all remember the stage growing up? Like, you would take poinsettias from Christmas and leave them up to Easter to help cover all the cables and all the stuff all across the stage, right? Because, uh, you know, and, and I, just, I just believe if we have the greatest message in the world to present to the world, that it should be done with the greatest level of excellence. Amen. And here's the thing. Excellence, listen, excellence is not a resource. Here's what I want you to understand. This is not a church value necessarily, just a church value. This is a personal value that you ought to carry in your life. When you go to work, you ought to do it with excellence. In your home, you ought to, you ought to do it with excellence. With your children, you ought, to, you ought to lead them with excellence. Excellence, everything in your life matters. And if it matters, if the calling is significant, nothing is insignificant. I mean, everything, nothing is insignificant. So being a parent, that's important. Do it with excellence. Being an employee, do it with excellence. And here's the thing. Excellence is not a resource. Well, if we just had a nicer house. Well, if we just had a nicer car. Well, if we just had, you know what it is? Excellence is a mindset. You can drive a 10-year-old car, but you can keep that thing clean. It may not make it there, but it could be clean getting broke down on the side of the road, right? Okay, I'll leave you to this last verse. I'm going to move on. Colossians 3.23, I think it so beautifully illustrates our attitude. It says, whatever you do, doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you do, work at it with what? Everyone say it out loud. With all your... That sounds like excellence to me. Not half-hearted. Work at it with all your heart as working for the... Lord, not for human masters. Everything we do should be done with excellence because we're doing it for God. Amen? So excellence is our presentation. Let me give you another one. All right? The second one is this. Servant leadership is our position. Servant leadership is our position. I'm giving you a second. You're someone who writes it down or takes a picture of it. All right? Now I want you to say it out loud with me. Servant leadership is our... Uh, that was not very good. I don't think we like this one very much. Yeah, excellence is awesome. Come on, we can do better. I want to hear you, Lancaster. Servant leadership is our position. I think it's important that we really do grasp the heart of this. Let, let me give you just some statements that go along with this. You can find these on our website if you're curious what I'm reading to you. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to do what? To serve. This comes from him. So should we. We elevate our calling over our gifting. We believe that if you are too big to serve, you're too small to lead. I'm going to restate that because some of you need to hear that and maybe write it down. We believe that if you are too big to serve, you're too small to lead. We get to lead because we choose to serve. It is our position. I, I think this is important because in our culture today, we, we need to understand that our culture is constantly, you know, just telling us that goal of life is to reach a certain place, a certain position, a certain title, a certain role in the company, get to a level to where finally everything, all that other stuff is beneath me. We just see this attitude in our world today. 
But our culture is all about getting, I want to be in charge. I want to be the boss someday. You know, so I don't have to do that stuff, so I can make somebody else do it. I, we, we have this, this idea of climbing the corporate ladder, getting to a level or position that is finally respectable of authority so that we, we don't have to have an attitude of a servant. Here's what I've discovered. Jesus does this all the time. He came to tell us that the, in the economy of heaven, oftentimes the things that we think are so important tend to be backwards. You ever notice that? Jesus was so paradoxical in his preaching. In other words, it didn't make sense. He would, he would turn things upside down. He would do it all the time. This is what he would do. This, there's no, this is the same. Jesus was constantly flipping this upside down. In fact, there's a story that illustrates this found in Matthew 20. Maybe, maybe you go read this on your own, but Matthew chapter 20 is, is a hilarious story where one day um, James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, James and John show up and come to Jesus with their mom. Their mom. It's kind of like take your mom to work day, okay? So they took their mom to work. Actually, their mom took them to work one day. And Jesus is talking about the end of his ministry and all this stuff and how things are going to really change and they're picturing, okay, you're going to become king of Israel, or you're going to this. And so she comes to Jesus with a request. She says, hey, Jesus, when you come into your rightful place, you know, of authority, of this kingdom, they don't realize that his king, kingdom was out of this earth. She said this, would you do me a favor? Grant me a wish. W would you allow my sons, James and John, to be a right and left-hand man, to be number two, number three in charge when you're kind of in charge? And I just want to frame this for just a moment. It would be like your mom calling your boss at work saying, I really think you should give her that promotion. Like, she really deserves it. She's a hard worker. Like, how embarrassing is this moment? Like, I think if I'm James and John, this is that one moment that's been preserved in all of history that you just wish would go away. And so Jesus kind of seeing, like, here they are vying to get up at the top. Jesus said these words to his disciples in Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. I like how he just states it, but, he's, but among you, it will be different. He doesn't even give the option. He says, but with you guys, it's going to be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your what? Everybody say it out loud. Must be your? You, you want to be in charge? Get ready to be a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Verse 28, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. So instead of fighting for position, Jesus said, instead of fighting for title, fighting for respect, he says what you need to do is take the role of a servant. Now this is so countercultural to everything that we do. But it is something that we've tried to really uh, create. Here in our church, we've tried to create this with our staff. In fact, I, I came up with a phrase. I'd never heard anybody say this, but, but years ago, just reading what Jesus said about servant leadership, and I came up with this phrase. You know, it, some of you, if you work in a, in a company, maybe you're, maybe you're a manager or a CEO or just someone that maybe is in leadership, so maybe you deal with this. Do you know how in every organization they'll put out an organizational chart called the table of organization? You heard of that? The table of organization? Usually the way it looks, you got the CEO or the president at the top, 
And then underneath you got vice presidents or whatever. And then under them you got managers. And under them you got supervisors or directors. And under them you got frontline workers, employees. And under you know you, you know how it goes. And it starts at the top and then it kind of flows down. Well, I was reading this one time, and I realized that true leadership, based upon what Jesus said, means to flip the table. So I say that to our staff all the time. We flip the table around here. What does that mean? That means that if you're the primary leader, guess what? You're not at the top. You're at the at the bottom. And you know what? Every organization and business leader that understands this principle actually gets this. This is not just a, this is not just a church thing. They're at the bottom. You know why? Because in any company, business, uh, retail, do you know who the most important people are? It's the people that are hands-on with all of the customers. It's not the managers. It's not the owners. It's not the people that are at the bottom that no one ever sees or knows. And so all of a sudden, like, when you start to understand, Jesus was brilliant. He understood this. That true leadership means being willing to serve. True leadership means taking a, taking a position of saying, it's not a look at my title and now I'm here. I don't do that. A true leader's mentality says, I'm here to serve you. And that's why I see it here at our church, that I'm at the bottom and I'm here to serve ultimately your pastors, all the rest of the pastors and leaders of this church who are then leading the directors who are then leading a lot of the servant leaders and the people in our church. And you guys are the ones that really make this church what it is. This church would not be what this church is if it was just me. This church is amazing because of the hundreds of servant leaders that we have that every single week make this place an incredible opportunity for us to encounter the presence of God. Amen? We need to celebrate that. Servant leadership is our position. It's something that I want to challenge you. If you are not involved as a servant leader at this church, I'm going to just challenge you right now. You ought to be thinking about how I can do it. How, how can I do this? One of the greatest stories I remember of this, my father-in-law told me. Um, he told me this story. Back in the early 90s, he went to go visit this church in Chicago. It's called Willow Creek, and they were holding a conference for pastors. This was, you know, again, a long time ago. And, and so my father-in-law went to this conference, and, and at the end of the conference, he's walking around kind of seeing this big facility. It's, again, in Chicago. They're a church that just kind of really blazed the trail for like what church is like what we're doing trying to reach the lost because the lost are our passion and 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 so he's walking through and someone's showing him the space and as they walk down this back this back hallway they, they come across this guy that's just a mountain of a man just a huge massive just built just ripped guy vacuuming the floors just huge he's, i mean like literally the vacuum cleaner looks like a little pencil in his hands and he's just like he's just like vacuuming the floors he's got his head down he's just vacuuming the floors and as soon as my father-in-law and this guy they walk up there hey i want to introduce you to someone it was mike singletary now if you don't know anything about football who at that time was the starting linebacker for the chicago bears who was a hall of fame pro football player this was in the early 90s mike singletary a guy with money fame i mean he could go anywhere he wanted in chicago and he wouldn't have to pay for a meal and here he is at a conference for pastors in the back hallway where no one could see him vacuuming the floors that's servant leadership that's the right heart and i fear that sometimes we can take the mindset of our culture and climbing this corporate ladder and we bring it into the church and then we can kind of just come and attend and think you know i make too much money to greet somebody I'm too important. My time is too valuable to serve somebody. I'm not, I know it sounds funny, 
But I guarantee it goes through the minds of a lot of people when it comes to church. Like, I, I just, I don't have time for this. I did it. No. If that's the case, then you just don't know Jesus that well. Because servant leadership was his position. Let me read to you about his position, and then I'll close this one. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 7 says this about Jesus, who, being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a what? Hold on, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus, the one who was there at the foundation of the earth when it was created, there all things were made for him and by him and through him. Are you telling me that he was willing to take on the nature of a servant? Then so should we. And I just want to say, I, I want to say my gratitude and my thanks to every single servant leader that we have in this church. We have people that are here right now that are teaching your kids about Jesus. Maybe something that you, you find hard to do. We have people that are loving on your kids and they're taking care of your babies so that you can have an opportunity to come and hear God's word. There are people who will greet you when it is freezing cold in the parking lot, will put an umbrella over your head and walk you out when it's raining. There are people who greet you to make you feel welcome no matter how bad your day is when you got here. I'm just here to say that I love our servant leaders and I am so thankful for every single person that serves at this church. You get it. You get it. You know what? You get it. You're leaders in this church because leaders serve. And I just wanted to take a moment and, and, and just say, um, I want to I just celebrate one particular servant leader and just, if I could, just honor one particular. There's a servant leader that's really special to the campus in Lithopolis. Maybe some of you in Lancaster uh, didn't know him that well. Um, but he is an absolute just gem, incredible. And um, his name is Larry Beal. And if you guys haven't heard the news, Larry Beal um, passed on this past week and went to be with the Lord. And I know some of you had the privilege and the, the honor of getting to know Larry. Larry was just here at church last Sunday. Larry was at the men's event last Sunday night. This was, he, he had, had difficult health, but, but we did not expect this. We just found this out. And I, I just wanted a moment just to celebrate him because Larry would be the guy that though he was sick, he would always find a way to get to church. And he was a guy that would come with his oxygen tank because his health had deteriorated so badly. And Larry would sit, and one of the things that he would do is, and before he got sick, he would, for three services in a row, he would run the camera so that people in Lancaster can have an opportunity to hear the gospel. And even when he had his oxygen tank, he would take it with him. And he would sit up there. And I just want to take a moment. I know he's not here, but I think we need to take a moment and celebrate and honor Larry Beal in our church. This guy was a true servant leader. He led an outreach. He had a passion to serve people. I'm saying, like, if, if there's anyone that we could aspire to be like, it is like Larry. And Larry, we know you're in heaven, brother. But, man, we, we are thankful for you. Thankful. Amen. 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 Just keep his family and, and friends in prayer. Is this a difficult time? But, but man, he, he's what we could aspire to be like. Amen. Let me give you another one. Generosity is our privilege. Generosity is our privilege. Let me read to you what we wrote with this one. We have freely received, so we freely give. Our response to God's irrational grace is a life of irrational generosity. We choose to be generous with our time, energy, and finances. It is our privilege. If there is one thing that I hope that our community knows or thinks about this church, it's not how great our worship is. I pray it's not how great the preaching is, though it is great. It's not. I'm just teasing. You know what? I, I pray that people, when they say something about our church, 
I pray they say that is one of the most generous churches we've ever known. This is a church that understands the value of not just saying we love you to our world and our community, but showing it. I think it's so easy to say it. We do it all the time. We, we, it's so easy to say I love you to somebody without actually demonstrating and showing it. And to me, generosity is really love in motion. That's what generosity is. And I'm thankful that our God, who is so incredibly generous, did not just stay in heavens or wherever and just tell us that he loved us, but it says that for God so loved the world that he did what? He, he gave. Generosity should flow from our hearts because it comes from God's grace. Here's the beautiful thing about amazing grace. It's so irrational. Is that we do nothing to deserve it. God's grace. I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to deserve it. I can't buy it. I can't buy my place with God. Some of you, maybe you've tried to kind of fix your place with God. You need to just receive it. It is a gift. It is free. And in response to God's irrational grace should be a life of irrational generosity. It should be us saying in return, God, you have blessed me so much that I want to turn around and I want to be a part of blessing your kingdom. When I think about Abraham, Abraham knew this. When Abraham recognized the favor of God and the blessing of God, it says that he gave a tenth of all that he had to King Melchizedek. All throughout scripture, you see people giving, giving generously to the work of God, giving generously to people in need. I believe that generosity should be a privilege. It should not be a struggle. It should not be something that we're, we're reluctant to do, but it should be a privilege. Oh, by the way, giving a tithe. And I believe that giving a tithe is a great way to honor God and what he has given to us and returning a tithe. That's irrational in our world. Giving an offering for a building that we want to build to reach more people, that's irrational. It's all irrational on the surface. But in response to God's grace, it's actually not that irrational. And so I, I, really, I really believe that it is a privilege. Paul, Paul said these words to the church in 2 Corinthians 8. Can I read this to you? Because Paul was talking to them about them giving generously to help some people in need in Jerusalem. And Paul said this. He, he's talking about another church. He said, I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. He's talking about this church that didn't have a lot of money, but they gave anyways. He said, and they did it on their own free will. Verse 4, they begged us again and again for the what? For the... Now that's so weird to me because that's never happened in the church ever. Oh, pastor, can we please have an opportunity to give more? No, that's never happened. Like, it's just strange to me. But, but there's some kind of joy that they had that, that made it feel like a privilege, not a duty or, oh my gosh... They want, they want, they, you know, trying to do this or whatever. But it was a joy. said, a privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. Their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. And I, and I just want to say this, that there is a promise attached when we are generous. I, I want you to hear this. We don't give so that we can get. We give because we've already received. There's the difference. What God has already done for me is so much greater than anything I could do for myself. I don't give to get. I give because I've received. But here's the promise attached with being generous. 
Luke 6, 38, here's a great promise. Give and it will be given to you. How? A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. God says, the way you give, I am going to continue to give more and more into your life. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I want you to hear this. Like when it comes to giving, when it comes to giving our time, giving our energy, giving our finances. Listen, we are going to be a generous people. Why? Because God is generous. And because he values this. And because it's a response to his irrational grace. Amen. Amen. Let me give you the last one. Here's the last one. We're going to close. The last one is this. Honor is our posture. Honor is our posture. Would you all say that one out loud with me? Honor is our posture. I wrote this down with it. Honoring others honors God. Do you know that? When you honor somebody else, it actually honors their maker, their father. We will look for every opportunity to honor people with our words and our actions. We will give honor to those God has placed over us, beside us, and under our care and leadership. Respect is earned, but honor is given. It is our posture. I feel real strong uh, about the value of honor, and let me tell you why. Because one of the things I've seen in our culture is a trend to dishonor more than to honor. Like, I just, it just exists. There's this attitude that is underlying in the current of our culture that says we just don't honor people. We don't honor people that have been placed over us. That We see it today. People don't honor their teachers as much, don't honor their principals, don't honor elders, don't honor people that are in place of authority, government officials. Instead, today, if we don't like someone, we don't agree with somebody, we just cut them down. We just say whatever we want. And I'm just, I'm just here to say it's time for us to restore a sense of honor the way God talks about honor, the way Jesus described honor. Like, we need to be a people of honor. Do you know that God's Word calls us to honor? It's a command, not an option. Did you know that? Did you know that we are supposed to honor our parents? It's the first command that was given with a promise that will go well with you. And some of you would say, well, how long? Until we're 18? I think we're supposed to honor them our entire lives. Amen, moms and dads. We're called to honor our parents. Husbands and wives, we're called to honor each other. Did you know that? Husbands, you're called to honor your wives, it says in 1 Peter. We're supposed to honor them. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to lay down our lives for them. And wives, you're supposed to honor your husbands in the God-given role that God has placed in their life. They didn't ask for it, but God gave it and put it on their shoulders by submitting to their leadership and authority. This is not an option. This is something we are called to do. And can I just say this? Even when it comes to, and this is the sad state of our culture today when it comes to politics today. If we don't agree with somebody, we don't even honor them. I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, if you're neither, whomever is the president, whomever is the governor, whoever is the mayor, whoever is in that place of authority is there because God allowed them to be there. God allowed that person to be there. Well, I don't like him. He's not my president. You need to read God's word. That should never come out of our mouths. I don't care if you don't agree with him. I don't care if you don't agree with what side gets power and what side. It doesn't matter. That goes against God's very word. If you don't believe me, let me read it to you because I think some of you will be shocked by this. Romans 13.1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which who has established? Well, I don't like that person. 
Well, I don't care. That's what that verse says. Well, I don't like, I don't like my boss. Well, God doesn't care. There is something that should represent all of us as Christ followers. And that is that we will honor those God has placed over us. We'll also, we added to it, honor those beside us, those God places under our care and leadership. We will be a people of honor. And you don't have to like someone to honor them. You don't have to agree with someone to honor them. And so I really just, I want to challenge us to say, let's push back against this kind of thing in our culture where we're just so flippant by what we say online, social media, before you're going to go post that comment on someone's thing. Take a moment and say, does this honor them? Because what I say either honors them or dishonors them, and therefore it also either honors or dishonors my God. I want us to be a people of honor, amen? I just feel like it's important that we kind of, we embrace this. What does it look like for us to honor those? And I want to say this, we're ultimately called to honor those who are in authority over us. And so when you go to school, you may not like a teacher, but they're in a place of authority over you, so you need to honor them. And you can say, well, you know, that person hasn't earned my respect. It doesn't matter. Honor is given. Honor is what we do because of the posture that we take posture looks like this humility humility first peter 5 says this god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble bible says humble yourselves therefore before the mighty hand of god that in due time he will honor you or lift you up so our posture as a church is to say i'm going to take the, the posture of humility if someone's over me spiritually Physically, my employment, my parents, whatever it is, I'm going to honor them. I'm just going to honor them. I'm not going to speak ill about them. I'm not going to backtalk them. I'm not. Gonna, I'm going to respect the role that God has put in on their life and their authority over me. Because listen, I, I, there's a whole sermon I could preach on this. There is a level of blessing that comes when you get under what God has put over you. Amen. There really is. So I, I want to one last time just list out our seven values and we're going to stick them up and I want you to say them out loud with me as we read these together and I pray that these seven values don't just become church values but I pray that they would become your value and my value for my life as a follower of Jesus Christ amen say them with me the gospel is our priority people are our purpose the lost are our passion excellence is our presentation servant leadership is our position generosity is our privilege and honor is our posture if you agree with those things would you just give put your hands together would you say amen amen would you all stand to your feet both our campuses i just want to i just want to have a moment of prayer and i just want us in this moment to commit ourselves as we begin a new chapter of ministry, this is the whole point of this, to say, this is really what matters. As we get ready, we're gonna sing a song in just a minute, the bands are just gonna come. And, but I wanna ask you just to bow your heads real quick at both our locations. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you right now knowing that God, you have shown us through your word and uniquely for this community, God, what you have placed upon my heart as values for us. And Lord, I pray that these values would not just be something that we would say, 
God, this is what my church values. But I pray that, God, these are things that we would say, this is what I value. That, God, the gospel would be a priority in my life and in every person's life that's a part of this church. That people are our purpose. God, that we're not so busy with tasks and things that we're doing that we don't stop and see the people that you've put into our lives. That the lost are our passion. That, God, we care about our friends and family and neighbors that don't know who you are. God, I pray we do everything with excellence. It is our presentation. That whatever we do, we do it for you, Lord. Father, I pray that servant leadership is our position. That, God, we have been called by you to serve others to show your love through service so i pray that becomes our position i pray we embrace a spirit of generosity that we see generosity as a privilege in response to what you have already given us through your irrational grace and god i pray that we are a people of honor that we lead the way in this community in central ohio i pray that people look at us and they say i don't know about their god or their faith but we need more people like that on our job places, in our schools, teaching, in the government officials, God. And so I pray today, God, that we would just commit ourselves to the Lord embrace these values, that they would impact and change the way we live our lives for you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. God is so good. Hey, listen, we're going to sing a song. And I just wanted you to use this moment and this opportunity to, to really just commit yourself commit yourself to where we're going as a church commit yourself to these values commit yourself I, I just want you to say maybe in this moment say God would you help me be all in on where we're going as a church